After reviewing the play, the call on the ice stands. We got to go. Okay, fellas, we are set to go. Let's go. We are kicking. Watch the blue. There we go. Yeah, baby. Hey, you got the power play. Get out of here. Hey. 36, right here for the rock. Both guys, five minutes each for fighting. Hey, hey. We're not doing this. I don't want to babysit all night. A little bit of nastiness today. Huh? Nothing good's coming out of this, big man. Have you seen this before? Yes, it's rule something, point something. He's not putting a stick in here. You keep your stick out of him. Here we go. Let's roll, boys. Let's go. Hey, 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 hey. Let's go. After further review, it's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Here's your hosts, Todd Lewis and Josh Smith. When you're ready, big guy. All right, guys, let's drop the puck. We're getting closer to the holiday season, Christmas, and the roster freeze in the National Hockey League. Josh, do you have any celebrations or plans or traditions that you follow over the next little while? Oh, I am just, I'm looking forward to the time off, looking forward to spending time with family, to our annual Christmas dinner, our prime rib, which will be smelling so lovely, but it'll be, uh, it'll be nice. Looking forward to the day. You know, the house is all decorated, have a few yeah. last minute errands to run, last minute presents to get, but just looking forward to some family time. How about you, Todd? Beautiful. Same sort of thing. Lots of family, lots of food. We'll have the uh, Festivus grievances that will will have the airing of grievances and <laughs> nice. like it's it's good. You know, people are continuing with the the Christmas movie watching and celebrating. I don't know if you you caught this one. A local arena is slated to be demolished to make way for a new high-rise condominium building. That is until a local referee meets the CEO of the company slated to take over. Once they meet, he can't resist her persistence and charms. The arena is saved. A relationship blossoms. Danica McKellar and Luke McFarland star in Skating into Christmas. Did you see that one? No, I'm, I'm setting the DVR right now to record it. <laughs> Don't want to miss it. It's going to be a good one. <laughs> oh, I know it's going to be a good one. This is the Scouting the Refs podcast. Please make sure you're following us on social channels to get Josh, of course, at Scouting the Refs on both Twitter and Instagram. For me, it's at Todd Lewis Sports on Twitter and Instagram. Coming up on this week's episode... One for Engvall's clubbing, three for Skinner's cross-check, three for Oleksiak's headshot, Ryan Reeves with the big hit, when is a slash a slash, and drawing a line on offside. Do you have any idea where I may want to go with this one, Josh? Oh, I, I think everybody's waiting for that last topic. I think offside's feeling pretty hot right about now. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so the overtime winner that wasn't from Connor McDavid, Edmonton Oilers, during overtime, McDavid moves the puck into the St. Louis Blues zone. He was not touching the puck as it crossed over the blue line. His feet entered the attacking zone first. The puck wound up in the back of the net, miraculously. Celebrations ensued. Horns were blasting. Jubilant teammates congratulating one another. I'm convinced that Jay Woodcroft bolted from the bench so fast he was in the room, suit jacket <laughs> off, tie undone, and had a beer open before anyone even noticed that everyone was talking about whether this goal was legal or not. The refs and the blues were, were gathering around. Every goal gets looked at for goalie interference, for offside, etc. And this one... I was, was surprised that the review was completed so quickly. Connor McDavid was ruled not to have control of the puck the moment it crossed the line. Play on. So, first off, a couple of things on this. Jack Michaels and Louis DeBrusque learn the rules. There are no coaches' challenges in overtime. Despite the sponsor Reed telling you so, 
This is from the office in Toronto. If Sportsnet had a referee analyst like Dave Jackson, who laid out a great explanation and has been tweeting nonstop I since, I think that would be better. First off, do you agree with the call, Josh? Wow. Well, I think... I think it's it's a tough one, and I think we've seen plenty of offside plays that are straightforward, that we know immediately what they're looking for. We know whether or not it's offside. And, and I think with this one, folks in some cases were focused on the wrong thing or, or focused on nuances of the rule that may or may not apply. So this is one of those ones where things get a little murky. Like you said, there's no coach's challenge, so this one was automatically getting reviewed. I think we have a few things here that were worth looking at. The first was mm-hmm. that McDavid precedes the puck into the zone. And that's the, the the primary consideration is that his skates were clearly in the attacking zone before the puck completely crosses the blue line. Now, we know per the NHL rule that that's permitted when you've got possession and control of the puck. So the review shifts now to does he have possession? Does he have control of the puck? The NHL defines possession as being the last player to touch the puck. So we're not going to argue that one. So what it comes down to is control. That's what we saw with Kale McCarr when he had that controversial offside play when he had possession and control. Didn't touch the puck until everyone had tagged up. In this case, we're looking at Connor McDavid. We're looking at the zone entry. He's the guy who's offside. So does he have possession and control before the puck completely crosses the blue line and he plays it? And he does when the puck's crossing. But I think, and this is what the NHL ruled as well, He no longer maintains control of the puck as he's being stick-checked by St. Louis Blues center Ryan O'Reilly. So you get that stick-check on McDavid. It breaks his path of controlling the puck. Now, he didn't lose it. It didn't go off into the corner or anything like that. But what the league looked at in their ruling was that 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 stick-check momentarily took away McDavid's control of the puck. Yes, he was able to get it again, but during that moment at the zone entry, when he himself was preceding the puck into the attacking zone, he lost control momentarily. He regained it, but he was already offside at the time of the call. And and it's a tough one. I can see the logic in it. I can see where they're coming from. But when you get this deep into it, Todd, I feel like people are not happy, even when you get an explanation. <laughs> you, uh, unhappy is is a very mild way to describe <laughs> how Oiler fans feel about this, this particular instance. So I, I want to go a little deeper on a couple of things because you brought up the Kale McCarr situation. And I know a lot of people have asked and said, well, isn't this the same thing? It's actually not because the McCarr was more of a delayed offside. Is that correct? Exactly right. So McCarr was not putting himself offside on the play. He had somebody in the attacking zone who was able to tag up at the blue line before he touched the puck. And it was effectively a a real quick version of a delayed offside, which we see all the time. So I think comparing these two situations, it's it's a, a different situation. This one is really McDavid entering the zone ahead of the puck and making that determination. And this is what the NHL situation room did in concert with linesman CJ Murray and Trent Kinnor was to decide, did he have possession and control at the time he entered the zone? The other part of this is when I watched the first two replays, I thought, I thought it should be a goal. And then I saw it was either the third or fourth replay. It was a different angle and thought, Oh, now I understand this ruling a little bit better. So if if you haven't seen multiple angles of yet, I, I would suggest that you look at them. And I think the other part that you mentioned is possession and control. They're tied together, but they are different things, but they have to work together to make this play good and, and to have a good goal. And they don't here. 
Correct. And they're often hard to define. I mean, possession, not so much, but control. You know when a player has no control over the puck. You know when the puck's lost, it's off in the boards, it's deflected, it's it's somewhere else. And you know when a player's stick handling, that they are predominantly in control of the puck. McDavid was clearly in control of the puck as he went through the neutral zone. He was stick handling, the puck was going where he wanted to, it was under his control the entire time. As he's crossing the blue line, that stick check from O'Reilly, if you watch it, McDavid doesn't play the puck again. I mean, he's mm-hmm. he's getting stick checked, he loses the puck off his stick as he's entering the zone and then it ends up going between his skates so I think that's part of the argument you hate to be the guy who says well I I know it when I see it or I I have to watch the play but it is a tricky thing to define and you're looking at intent you're looking at outcome you're looking at where you know where does the puck end up the fact that McDavid never regained the puck on that play is supporting the NHL's ruling that he lost control of the puck and because of that stick check from Ryan O'Reilly that invalidates the zone entry which negates the goal is there a way that we can look at this situation and I guess in a sense apply case law to the rule book? Is there, I guess, is there a way to be better? Is there something that we can do to more accurately describe this kind of play or a different kind of language, do you think, in the rule book for the future? Oh, I, I mean, I think there are plenty of opportunities to rewrite the rule book. Offside <laughs> is, is just one of many here. I, I don't know outside of really trying to provide a clearer definition or some some case law as you put it on what do we find as control or possession what you know what situations can we say here is a player who is in control here's a player who is no longer in control of the puck and that's i think what it came down to in this one it's those interpretations and you you wish the nhl when they give their explanation would actually lean into that a little bit more on here's how we define control here's why they said in their official ruling that he didn't maintain control of the puck, but why? What What was it? Was it he he played it with a stick and then it was no longer under his control? It was, you know, through Ryan O'Reilly's feet, into the corner, that kind of thing. A little better explanation on how they're getting there because the idea of a guy backing into the zone or preceding the puck in relies so much on the possession and control piece. And there are other components of the NHL rulebook that do as well, but I think the more people understand what those mean and then when they apply, it it strengthens everything else. So, yeah, some some tighter definitions certainly would go a long way. But honestly, Todd, this one's not <laughs> sorry, Oilers fans. This one's not that <laughs> bad as far as the rule itself goes. There are some some far more egregious rules that I think I would tackle first before this one. Fair. Even as you say, if there was a little video clip and an indication of here, here is where he loses control of the puck. And that's why we ruled this way. Yeah, I think it's something exactly like that. And and I think it's there. I, you know, I think as you look at it and as you read the NHL's definition and assuming you're a neutral party, and you don't have a stake in who wins or loses the game. I think you can see that there was a moment when McDavid was clearly controlling the puck. And then there was a moment when he was no longer controlling the puck and where that switched over looks like it happened on O'Reilly stick check, which. Now you're looking at, well, does, does that happen after he's in the zone or did he lose control as he was entering the zone? And that's where it gets a little tricky on, on trying to figure out and pinpoint exactly where did that happen? Because it's such a fluid play. Uh, you know, there's not there's not stops and starts. We don't have things like the NFL does where we've got a play that lasts five seconds and we have definitive stops and starts to when a play happens. It's everything's moving all the time, which makes it such an on the fly adjustment and judgment call like this to say, well, you know, when? specifically did he lose control of the puck and and that's where i think it becomes a challenge and and that's where folks i think get frustrated 
It, and understandably, it's a part of what makes the game great, too, is that it's fast, it's ever-evolving, and it isn't nonstop. What about if we move to something that is a little more black and white, like length of suspension? That's an easy one, isn't it? <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> suspension length is, is simple. You know, you just plug it into the formula. And I, I'm joking, because obviously player safety does have some guidelines internal. Uh, they don't have standardized ones that they're sharing with us, but they do have some ideas of what they're looking at to constitute a suspension and how long it is. And uh, we're not privy to what those calculations are, but sometimes it, uh, it, it feels like you're, you're, you're looking at it and you have to do just as much digging to figure out why a suspension was one game, two games or three. Okay, well, let's start with the little one and go to the larger ones. Pierre Engvall of the Maple Leafs had a little tiff with Sean Dursey of the LA Kings, and they were pushing, they were shoving, and then all of a sudden Engvall's stick comes down across the shoulders and back of the head of Dursey, and player safety said, we think you should sit for one game here. I have no issue with the suspension being issued. I, I'm always happy to err on the side of safety. It could have been longer, but I absolutely think he should have been suspended for a game here. I, I think so because of the the flagrant and dangerous nature of it. This is not one of those situations where we're looking at a guy who's going after somebody or we have intent to injure type of play. They're, they were battling, their sticks got up, and as they were jousting, I guess you'd say, as they were trying to get separated, he just swung his down and uh, clipped Dursey up high. It's, you know, it's right to get tossed from the game. That's a dangerous play. You want a match penalty for it. And I think you you need to give them a game. And it was the right call for Engvall to sit for one because it's the type of stick infraction that could result in a serious injury. It's the kind of thing that might not be intentional, but it could be and is extremely dangerous. So I, I think it was correct. I don't think it was premeditated. I don't think he was looking to injure. It was a frustrated battle. And this is just something you can't do. So I'm, I'm, I was glad to see him get tossed. And I, I think the one game was right. Okay. We'll go with that. Now the sticks got up again in another game between the Sabres and the Pittsburgh Penguins involving Jeff Skinner and Jake Gensel. The two exchanged some slashes. Skinner continued with a couple of cross checks and the last one struck Gensel right in the face. He got a match penalty and the hearing with player safety earned him a three game sit down I'm perfectly okay with this. This was a nasty cross check. It was the it was what ended an altercation between the two. And I'm I guess I'm pretty comfortable with three games here. Yeah, I think three is three is honestly where I start for plays like this. We've seen some yeah. in the past that might have been equally as egregious, but for one reason or another didn't receive three, maybe only two games for it, but I talked about intent for the Engvall play. This is clearly intent. I mean, he's he's going after Gensel. You get the first cross check to the shoulder. You get the second one in the face. You know he's he's trying to go after the guy. It is an extremely dangerous play, and there is clearly intent to injure an opposing player. I mean, what else are you doing when you're cross checking a guy in the face? So I, I think three was right. I think you know you're looking at a guy who could have put Gensel out for quite an extended period of time, or at least in the dentist's office for an extended yeah. period of time. So, uh, you know, he, he's got a, a previous suspension history of one game before for kicking an opponent, which is also something you don't want to do. But you know, I don't, I don't know even with his history if that would really add on here. I, I'd like to see player safety stick with three games anytime you've got a guy getting cross-checked to the face like this. And this is away from the puck. This is two guys jabbing at each other. So there was no attempt of clearing room from the crease, anything like that. This was purely a one-on-one -on -one battle and one where Skinner was looking to take out Gensel. 
And yeah, that that was a nasty one. So yeah, starting at three games for for that, I'm I'm good with that. The other suspension this past week also was a three gamer for Jamie Oleksiak of the Seattle Kraken. Lined up Alexander Alexiev of the Capitals for a hit. It was huge. It was gigantic. The trouble is he also made significant head contact and player safety said, you will sit for three games as well. It's a a fast moving play and Oleksiak is a big hulking defenseman, but you can't hit another player in the head the way he did. No, and and he had plenty of opportunity to change position or to shift on a hit and to deliver a legal body check here. He didn't. He he failed to make those adjustments. He failed to change his trajectory. He failed to minimize contact. And I, I think that's where the league's looking at it and saying, this is an illegal check to the head. And and they've been pretty consistent with that. We've seen two to three games as your as your suspensions. Abe Kubel got three earlier this season. So I, I think again that's that's right where the league is when they're looking at a player delivering what was clearly an illegal hit and passing up any chance to minimize contact or change their course or do anything other than deliver a high hard hit, as player safety put it. There was another, what's the best way to describe this? Explosive hit from Ryan Reeves. Would that be an accurate uh, uh, that, description? That would be. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Because he really blew up Phil Hronick of the Detroit Red Wings. It was heavy. It was an open ice hit. Hronick left the game, didn't return. There was a lot of tap dancing going along about, oh, is this illegal? Is it not legal? And there was a lot of uncertainty from those commentating on the game. Horonic, as he's beginning to move the puck up the ice, looks to his left. He's looking behind him. I don't know if he's looking for teammates. He's looking for an outlet or something, but he's surveying the situation. And as he looks back, he realizes he is about to run into the wall that is Ryan Reeves, who has been lining him up for the impact. I have no problem with big hits. I have no problem with physical hockey. I'm. I, it is part of the game and I like it. However, as I watched replays and I watched a bunch of them, This one, to me, I thought had more head contact than should be there for Ryan Reeves. Again, taking into account size of player and and the rest of it, I thought Reeves made significant impact with the head. It wasn't strictly a full body hit. I don't think you're necessarily wrong there, Todd. And I know some folks who've been against this hit have called out something similar, that it was the primary point of contact or the, the, the leading point of contact. But Player safety looks at it as whether or not the head is the main point of contact. They also look at whether the player was attempting to hit squarely through the opponent's body and the head was not being picked or wasn't being targeted. And if contact to the head on the hit was unavoidable in a certain play where it was otherwise a legal body check. And we have to look at that because that's what player safety is looking at here. That's what the officials are looking at is, first of all, uh, Hronik was obviously able to be checked on the play and Reeves appeared to be delivering a legal body check. What we have is a combination of Heronic's body position by looking over his shoulder and being pitched forward a little bit. His head was maybe a little bit lower and that's changing, you know, at leading up to Reeves delivering the hit. So does Reeves have an opportunity to change his path or to, to do anything differently to minimize contact? Or is this going to be a legal body check where head contact was unavoidable? And I think that's, what the officials and that's what player safety fell into is that yes that there was head contact on this play that was unavoidable due to Heronic's body position you know this could have been a shoulder on shoulder hit he's looking over his shoulder he's coming back he's not prepared for the impact 
And I, I will call out that blindside hits, the language around blindside hits anyway, has been taken out of Rule 48 for legal checks to the head. So his awareness doesn't really factor in as much as where was the contact and what were the mitigating circumstances around it. And I think in this case, you're looking at one where, yeah, there was more head contact than I would have liked to seen. But I think Ryan Reeves might agree that it was unavoidable on that hit. He would have been delivering a legal body check had their body positions not been aligned the way they were. And I, I, that's why you're looking at a situation where the player doesn't get a match penalty and, and doesn't get any supplemental discipline. Mm-hmm. And and the impact, I think, and the result of Hironic being laying out on the ice is was increased because he was not watching the play. He was turned and he was looking away from the check at that point and has no time to brace for impact, so to speak. Absolutely. And it creates a horrible visual. I mean, you don't want anybody in that situation. You don't want guys getting injured. I mean, Ryan Reeves wants to send a message. He wants to deliver a hard body check. He wants to set the tone out there. But you're not necessarily looking to see a guy get injured on the play. You don't necessarily want to hurt somebody. And it happens. I think the league would love to find a way to eliminate types of head contact. But when you've got what's a legal body check that happens to result in an injury or where the players can do nothing to avoid head contact. And we've seen some other collisions too. We had a Nick Suzuki hit this week where there was head contact and looked like it was entirely unintentional, but there's going to be contact with shoulders and heads. You've got guys out there moving at such high rates of speed. And if you put your head down, if you're not looking up, you're going to run into the wrong end of a train. And and that's what (laughs) happened to Hironic. Yeah, very much so. Okay, there's one other game situation I wanted to mention to you and maybe discuss a little bit. It was with the the Washington Capitals and Chicago Blackhawks. Evgeny Kuznetsov got a penalty for slashing. It happens all the time, but it spurred a little discussion. Mark Messier, who was working the game, didn't think this should be a penalty because the Chicago player, which was Tyler Johnson, he only had one hand on his stick. He was reaching for the puck at the time. He was not in control and possession of it to complete the circle there. And the stick got knocked out of his hand. So Kuznetsov, who delivered the whack, sits for for two minutes. And I thought Messier made a good point that this shouldn't necessarily be an automatic penalty. We've seen broken sticks when a slash is delivered almost become an automatic. If the stick breaks, the arm goes up. And it's funny, we had a rash of broken stick penalties this past week as well. But there's... It, I, I thought it was worthy of mention because you're right. If you've got one hand on the stick and it gets whacked by an opponent, it shouldn't necessarily be a penalty. You've got to hold on to your stick. You do. And I think guys know this. And uh, you have guys who intentionally might be holding on a little more loosely with apologies to 38 special there, knowing <laughs> <laughs> too old of a reference, uh, knowing <laughs> that they could draw a penalty. And they know they're going to do it. You can't make your stick break, but if the stick goes flying out of your hands and the officials see it, they're they're potentially more likely to call a penalty. And it's a slash. If you're playing the puck and they're playing your stick and they're knocking it out of your hands, it is, per Rule 61, a slashing penalty. So I, I get where this is coming from, and you really can't knock the guy's stick out, but... You know, when you're holding on and you're you're really barely got a hand on it there or one hand on it, as the case may be, uh, it's a lot easier to knock that stick out. Yeah. In, in this particular case, too, we have the other situation where the puck's nowhere near. And it, while we're looking at a slash when you've got two guys battling for the puck, the interference penalty, Rule 56-2, offers a minor penalty for a player who deliberately knocks the stick out of an opponent's hand or prevents a player from getting a dropped stick. So, again, it's a situation where we've got a specific rule, but... Man, if you're holding on with one hand, if you don't have a good grip on your stick or you're intentionally just holding it lightly to hope you're going to draw a penalty, that's uh, it's going to make some optics that are going to make it easy for the officials to call one there. And, and 
I think, Todd, what I'd love to see, there's there's no way to do this, but let's let's put this under the diving embellishment. Let's let's look at those stick holds. And you know what? If we're gonna call a guy like Mason Marchman for, for diving and find him two thousand dollars, why don't we look at a guy who was holding his stick loosely, who who's he's doing it intentionally to draw a penalty, and I know it's a lot of interpretation there, but if we if we see that it's clear cut, let's call it an embellishment, because frankly, that's what it was. So hold on loosely, don't let go. If you cling too tightly, you're going to lose control. That's back to McDavid again. <laughs> That's where we started. We're done. Good job. You're good, my book. Good stuff, man. Way to work. Yeah, we're good, man. Too long. Let's go sit for a couple. Get in the box. It's the Scouting the Refs podcast. Read more at scoutingtherefs.com. Follow Scouting the Refs on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Scouting the Refs. Email the show at heyref at scoutingtherefs.com. Subscribe, share, and keep those sticks down. Okay. That's, uh, nicely done. That's good work.